0: Welcome back to Amerisogyny. I'm your host, Hannah Blue. You're listening to the top worst mental health facilities in the world. It's early, early morning, folks. And I woke up with this story on my mind because I am absolutely sickened and disgusted by the first place I'm going to take you today. Making the decision to seek treatment for mental health isn't easy. And when people do, it should be therapeutic and productive. But for the people living in this state that I'm about to bring to you, it is embarrassing. It is traumatic. It is disgusting how they were treated. Now, this is a state that has never popped up on our site as far as listeners. But I'm sure after today, We're gonna get a lot of listeners because I'm about to put this state on the map and not in a good way because its legislators should be ashamed of themselves and something needs to be done. So let's get ready for our first stop, New Jersey. Disability Rights New Jersey is suing the Murphy administration over the barbaric ways they've been running their state psychiatric hospitals. The patients there say they have been treated worse than dogs and more like prisoners than human beings who needed help. To give you a bit of history about psychiatric hospitals, they used to be called asylums. If you're a comic lover, a Batman fan, you're familiar with Arkham Asylum. That's where the Joker would be housed frequently. But the real asylums did not focus on treatment. They were torture chambers and death camps for many people. Now, I'm going to get into that later on. As soon as I finish raking these hospitals over the coals, New Jersey's gruesome modern-day asylums, Ancora Psychiatric Hospital in Winslow, Greystone Park Psychiatric Hospital in Parsippany, Trenton Psychiatric Hospital, and Anne Klein Forensic Center in Trenton and Ewing. Over 1,000 patients were housed among the four, and they say they were treated worse than criminals. One patient told Disability Rights, I don't feel safe here. Who are the defendants, commissioners, inside Health and Human Services, and why they're responsible for licensure, inspections, and day-to-day operations? Jill Hogle had a lot to say about the way these poor people have been treated. She is the Director of Investigations and Monitoring for Disability Rights New Jersey. She says, The conditions in our state psychiatric hospitals will not be tolerated in any other healthcare setting. Nobody expects to be assaulted when they go to the ER with a broken leg. And the same should be true for New Jerseyans involuntarily committed to receive inpatient mental health care. The commissioners have allowed these conditions to persist for too long. Even though people have filed complaints, investigations have been launched, and lawsuits have been filed by former patients over the years. So who are we putting on blast today? Human Services Commissioner Sarah Adelman and Acting Health Commissioner Caitlin Baston. Now, of course, the state agencies aren't commenting on what happened. They seldom do. But that's not stopping disability rights in New Jersey. They want answers on seven unexplained deaths, including a 19-year-old patient who died due to cardiac arrest. Now, we're aware cardiac arrest can happen to anybody, but 19 years old? Yeah, that needs to be questioned. According to the lawsuit, one patient at Encora was sexually assaulted by another patient and an employee while she was waiting to be discharged. Now, she reported the assaults, but instead of getting help, staff and other patients harassed her. And why? The staffer who allegedly sexually assaulted her was popular. The staff member wasn't fired. They were transferred to another unit the same patient was diagnosed with a kidney disorder and needed access to water. But according to the lawsuit, staff often refused or delayed giving the patient water. This patient would frequently beg staff on the patient's unit to give them a cup of water due to this health condition. Now, some of the things I'm going to talk about in this story may shock you, but please understand, for centuries... People locked away have suffered from this treatment and worse in mental health facilities. It may be shocking to you that this is happening in 2024, but I'm not surprised by it at all. This is why we advocate and fight for people who suffer from mental illness. They are stigmatized in society and they receive the worst treatment. At Trenton Psychiatric Hospital... A patient suffered a TBI that is a traumatic brain injury after being assaulted by a group of other patients. Staff watched the attack, but didn't stop it. Non-English speaking patients reported the hospitals did not provide them with the skills they needed to cope with their mental health disabilities. Now just imagine being in a psychiatric hospital and you can't speak English. No one tries to communicate with you, alleviate your pain make things better for you. This sickens me to my core. Bren Prominick, a managing attorney of disability rights, New Jersey, says, imagine living in an environment where even the most basic choices are taken away from you. When to wake up, when to go outside, when to have a drink of water, and in place of psychiatric treatment, you face both boredom and violence on a daily basis. This is the reality for the patients in the state's four psychiatric hospitals, over 20% of whom could leave today if the state developed capacity to serve them in the community. Now I'm going to take a moment to toot the horn of the state that I live in, North Carolina. North Carolina is moving away from the idea people need to be institutionalized. They are putting the services back in the community. Some resources that they have, the Innovations Waiver, and soon to be coming, Tailored Care Plans. Let me tell you what the Innovations Waiver is very quickly. The Innovations Waiver is a set of funds allocated to a person with a developmental disability. It is a game changer for people with disabilities. Instead of placing your loved one in an institution, the waiver will allow them to stay at home There's so much information about this, I might have to do a separate episode. But if your family member has a developmental disability and they're approved for a waiver, they have to be approved through their MCO. The funding can be used to hire staff to come into your home and take care of your loved ones. Also, if you're a parent and your child has a developmental disability, you can be hired as a relative as direct support employee. That's called a RADSI and you provide the support that your child needs. If you are a relative or legal guardian, you have to live in the same home as the participant. However, you can't be married to the participant. It used to be, if your child was under 18, no relative could be the RADC. However, due to the pandemic, changes were made to the policies, and beginning in March, Parents can work as staff if they have children 18 and younger. Before the pandemic, if you had a minor child with a developmental disability, you could not work as their staff. And I am very glad this change has been made because it is needed. Not everyone trusts people to come into their homes and take care of their children. If your child is 18 and older, you can be a RADC as well. You can also be an employer of record. Now, the employer of record cannot work as staff but they do have the ability to train and hire people to come into their homes and work with their children. You should know that the employer of record position is very intense and is unpaid. To be EOR, and I'm speaking from experience, you have to be very disciplined and detail-oriented because there's a lot of paperwork that goes into it. And sometimes it can be stressful. You're managing strangers, but if you have family in North Carolina, You can hire family members. And I think that makes the difference because if you have family members that you trust and you know aren't gonna hurt your child, everything runs smoothly. When you have to depend on strangers, it doesn't. And I'm just speaking from personal experience. The second thing that's soon to be coming is tailor care plans. And that specifically puts the resources back into the community and there is less dependency on institutions. As far as the psychiatric hospitals in North Carolina, I'm not familiar with most of them and they did not make the list that I'm going to talk about today. But I'll tell you what really makes a difference. Who you have running your state and God bless Governor Roy Cooper. What's happening in New Jersey would not happen on his watch. And I said what I said. And while I'm talking about governors, let's put the governor of New Jersey on blast. Governor Phil Murphy, if you're from New Jersey and you're listening to me today, go ahead and give your governor a text. His number is 732-605-5455. And he's on X2, formerly known as Twitter, tweeting about long dead Abraham Lincoln who can't feel a thing. If I were you, I would get the story and add him in it. Ask him, Just how he's helping the people who have mental illness in his state. And another thing, New Jersey is the stomping ground of Senator Cory Booker. The other senator is Bob Menendez. Mm. I know Booker is on X, formerly Twitter. Go ahead and send him some tweets too. The state of New Jersey elects these people to work for them. It's not the other way around. I don't know what districts these hospitals are in because I don't live in New Jersey. But New Jersey, I took the liberty of looking up your house representatives by district. Are you ready? First District, Donald Norcross, Democrat. Second District, Jeff Van Drew, Republican. Third District, Andy Kim, Democrat. Fourth District, Chris Smith, Republican. Fifth District, Josh Gynamer, Democrat. 6th District, Frank Pallone, Democrat. 7th District, Thomas Keene Jr., Republican. 8th District, Rob Menendez, Democrat. 9th District, Bill Pascrell, Democrat. 10th District, Donald Payne Jr., Democrat. 11th District, Mickey Shirell, Democrat. 12th District, Donnie Watson Coleman, Democrat. You see, this is what I do, people. Whenever there's an issue, I look up who represents my district and then I contact them. If you are a patient or a family member, filing a lawsuit is your right. But also, get on your legislators that you vote in office. Their jobs are to protect everyone in that state and I am appalled and sickened by the treatment these people were subjected to as if it's 1883. Parents of children with developmental disabilities or parents who have children who suffer from mental illness, this is their worst fear that their child is going to end up in a place like the four hospitals in New Jersey, where they're subjected to unfair, inhumane treatment. It is 2024. And this treatment in these hospitals, modern day asylums, has gone on for years and everybody should know about it. So if you're listening to this episode, sharing is caring. Now, you may not live in New Jersey, but remember when I told you, some people do not share your experiences, they don't look like you, may not come from the same background, but that doesn't mean you turn a blind eye to what's happening We do not advocate solely for people in North Carolina. We advocate for every person who suffers from mental illness or has a developmental disability in this country and around the world. I'm glad these hospitals are being called on the carpet. And I'm glad New Jersey's Health and Human Services is being called out on the carpet as well. It's called Health and Human Services for a reason. And the fact that they let this treatment go on for years and years and years is reprehensible. People need to be fired and replaced. And here's what's worse. This is going to cause an even bigger mess because the mental health field already doesn't have enough people to serve its members. The people who are currently serving are overworked and underpaid. People who battle with mental health have always been stigmatized. And until people stand up and do something about it, until people demand change, it's always going to go on. Let's get back to these hellholes in New Jersey. Greystone is a 450-bed state hospital located in Morris County. Here's what I found interesting. Greystone is already under a court-ordered supervision as a result of a lawsuit settled four years ago allegedly the patients lived in a constant state of fear and as a result of the lawsuit new jersey was required to staff psychiatrists and nursing jobs limit emissions maintain an ambulance on site at all times and more in 2022 thomas rosamila was hired as ceo Gwen Orlowski is the executive director of Disability Rights New Jersey. She says, Whatever the state is doing, it is still failing to meet its legal obligation to provide community-based options for people with mental health disabilities, resulting in the unjust and unnecessary segregation of people with disabilities in large, dangerous, and isolating psychiatric hospitals. Now, Back in the day, guys, and I'm going to get into this in a minute, people were placed in psychiatric hospitals or asylums just so other people wouldn't have to see them. That's right. They were isolated, locked away, simply because they had disabilities. And even more than that, the Ann Klein Forensic Center houses psychiatric patients who also have criminal records. But according to the lawsuit, their state and federal constitutional rights have been ignored. One patient said he feared for his life because he experienced a series of multiple beatings. It doesn't matter if a person has committed a crime, no matter how atrocious the crime is, they still have rights and they still should be treated humanely to beat and torture them. Mm Mm-mm, that's not right. And the staff that perpetuated this brutality, that makes them no better. New Jersey needs to get it together. And if it takes a federal lawsuit to do it, so be it. We, the people, elect senators and congressmen to work for us. Not to sit on their behinds and collect fat checks. And I don't care what party they represent. Everyone who knew what was going on and turned a blind eye, you should be ashamed and unemployed. And now, listeners, it's travel time. I'm going to talk about 12 asylums that have been named the worst in the world. And guess what? Most of them are in the United States. How scary and pathetic. Let's talk about the history of mental health and asylums. Back in the day, society did not recognize the importance or reality of mental health. And as a result, Many people suffered behind closed doors. One of my favorite psych movies, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with a young Jack Nicholson. If you haven't seen it, please do. It's a classic. And there was a scene in The Green Mile when they put Percy in a straitjacket and locked him up in the padded room. That actually happened, you guys. Here's some history. The use of straitjackets is very real. So were lobotomies, shock treatments, insulin coma therapies, you name it. What I'm going to say next is right up a alley. Madness was blamed on women. Mothers who had children born out of wedlock were often locked in asylums. And how the U.S. treats immigrants really hasn't changed much. Immigrants used to be housed in mental asylums as well. And if you're thinking, ah, well, that was so long ago. Ah, ah, ah. Remember when Trump locked Mexican children up in cages? Mm Mm-hmm. With the wrong people in office? America's very ugly history rears his head time and time again. The top 12 worst mental asylums in the world? Number 12. Taunton State Hospital. In Massachusetts. It's formally known as the State Lunatic Hospital. A little Amerisogyny tidbit men were classified as insane, while women were called lunatics. How's that for gender equality? The Taunton State Hospital, or State Lunatic Hospital, is called one of the worst insane asylums in the United States. It was the second state asylum in Massachusetts, and it was built in 1854. Now, this hospital had a couple of serial killers, Jane Toppin and Anthony Santo. Innocent people were also sent there, veterans with brain injuries, and people who suffered from Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease, and Tourette's. What's even scarier, people who had chronic fatigue syndrome Postpartum depression, anxiety, and panic attacks were also admitted. Patients were subjected to the idiotic idea of phrenology, which sprouted from Franz Joseph Gall's theory of organology. He was a German doctor, but it was another German doctor, his assistant, Johann Gaspar Spurzheim, who made it popular. Phrenology was birthed during the late 1700s and early 1800s. Now, what is it? It's the idea that the bumps on a person's scalp reveals specific personality traits. A phrenologist would feel indentations and bumps on someone's head. The results would be compared to a phrenology bust to find out if there was a correlation between the surface of the skull to an individual's natural aptitudes characters, and tendencies. It was Paul Broca who swatted away phrenology like a fly when he discovered and named the Broca's area of the brain. Here's the Broca's area in a nutshell. When there is damage to the left frontal lobe, people lose their ability to speak, but they can understand everything that is said just fine. According to Broca, Yes, the brain has division of labor, but there is no correlation to the size of the head or the structure of the skull. As you can see, I like talking about the brain, and I hope that bit of information helps. A Taunton Hospital exists today, but it is not the old asylum. The old asylum was closed in 1975 and was mostly torn down. Number 11. Haven Forest Asylum in Maryland started out well. It had music and art therapy programs. Yet, it turned out to be one of the worst mental institutions in the United States. People with learning disabilities and physical disabilities were brought there and forgotten. As time went on, treatment became an understatement. It became a solution for locking people with disabilities away from the public so they wouldn't be seen. Allegedly, if women were left by their husbands, they ended up being patients. Here's what's crazy and appalling. Although Forest Haven was built in 1925, it didn't close until 1991 after a lawsuit was filed, Evans v. Washington. This lawsuit outed the terrible abuse inflicted upon patients and noted the facility violated their constitutional rights. In 1991, people, there were unexplained deaths, sexual abuse, and medical malpractice. For some of us, the 90s were fun, but for the patients in this asylum, the pain and torture they were subjected to is frightening. Our next stop, England. Let's talk about number 10, several's asylum as i said before in the past mental illnesses were considered a female issue and that toxic rhetoric still exists you want to discredit a woman call her crazy and some people will believe it no questions asked the most horrendous experimental treatments were forced on women and this happened in the slave times too where the psychopath J. Marion Sims operated on female slaves with no anesthesia. I've talked about him before. He's been called the father of gynecology. This happened in the 1800s, kids. You can look him up. What makes me sick is how some write about him. And I quote, He rose from humble origins to become a successful surgeon, teacher, and writer. This animal believe black women did not feel pain like other women. Imagine your private areas being operated on with no anesthesia. And here's what's even sicker than him. The lie that has been perpetuated for centuries that these women were willing participants for these experiments. Understand this. Black slaves... In the United States had absolutely no say-so as to what was done with their bodies. This is what the United States has done to water down the atrocities committed against minorities. It didn't matter if these women were of sound mind or had developmental disabilities. They had no say-so. And I don't know anybody who would willingly sign up to allow someone to operate on them with no remedy for pain. Let me be very real with you. There's no way in hell he would have operated on a white woman without anesthesia. One slave woman, Arnarka, had a vesicovaginal and rectovaginal fistula. She had 30 operations without anesthesia before the holes in her bladder and rectum were closed. 30 operations, you guys. No anesthesia. And while some choose to willingly overlook how evil his practices were, there are some who see him for exactly what he was, a monster. In the Journal of Medical Ethics, Dorinda Ojanuga said Sims achieved fame and fortune, and I quote, as a result of unethical experimentation with powerless black women, she says his attempts to cure the secco-vaginal fistulas is a classic example of the evils of slavery and the misuse of human subjects for medical research. Unnecessary surgical experiments on unwilling, helpless slaves. In pursuit of his own self-advancement. That's it in a nutshell. Human experimentation is unethical for a reason. The underlying assumption that black people are less than human still exists to this day. There are doctors who believe we have a higher tolerance for pain than white people and that is not true. Thank God everyone doesn't think that way. When I had surgery at Duke Hospital, my nurses were on it. That was the worst pain I've ever had in my life. But they made sure I had my pain medicine every four hours. These were the treatments that people in asylums were subjected to. They had no say, no matter what color they were. And especially if they were people with developmental disabilities. Imagine not being able to speak and someone is operating on you. The patients had no opportunity to advocate for themselves and they had no one to advocate for them. That is the history of asylums. In England, if a woman got pregnant out of wedlock or if she was a victim of rape, she was sent to be locked away at Several's. Can you imagine and veterans from World War I were sent there as well. Innocent people were locked away for things that happened to them through no fault of their own. From the 1930s to the 70s, frontal lobotomies were the norm. The year one flew over the cuckoo's nest dropped, 1975. As I said, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Imagine a hundred nurse ratchets running around. That'll keep you up at night. Here's what's crazy to me. No pun intended. People signed up to visit Severals until it was sold in 2016. It opened in 1913 and closed in 1997. A lot of it was torn down for over a thousand homes to be built on the land. You couldn't pay me to live on that land. Our next stop, back to the U.S., to talk about the Eastern State Hospital in Virginia. Now, this was the first public hospital built solely for the mentally ill. And get this, it was built in 1773 before the U.S. was even born. Just like the others, the Eastern State Hospital was not focused on treatment. Their sole motivation was isolation from the public. During this time, It was legal trials that determined sanity, not doctors. Among 24 cells, there were barred windows and reinforced doors. The patients were forced to sleep in straw-filled mattresses and were often clad in iron shackles. Amongst 2,000 patients, many were forced to wear straitjackets and were chained away in solitary confinement. Built in 1773 and closed, 1990 the fact that most of these hospitals were closed in the 90s blows my mind on to our next stop new york to talk about number eight on the list heart island lunatic asylum i already told you men were classified as insane but the women were called lunatics the facility was built on Hart island in new york city It was built in 1885, and over time, it became a prisoner of war camp, a tuberculosis hospital, and a quarantine zone during the yellow fever epidemic. Today, it's known as one of the creepiest cemeteries in the world. The island was abandoned from 1967 to 1977. Our next stop, Massachusetts, Danvers State Hospital, is number seven on the list. Lobotomies, electroshock therapy, and missing patients happened within these walls. In 1939, 2,360 patients were housed there. But in the same year, 278 died. Gee, I wonder why. Remember the episode I did on fun times in the 80s? Not for these patients. In the 80s, allegedly, allegedly, 115 teenage patients went missing. When the teens were asked about, they said they had been assigned to new doctors and no one knew where they were. What's even more creepier, what happened to them remains a mystery to this day. They were never found. Danvers was built in 1878 and was closed in 1992 because of mental health budget cuts. Our next stop. We're going back to New York. Willard Asylum for the Chronic Insane. Why is this on the list for one of the worst mental asylums in the world? In addition to electroshock therapy, ice baths were forced on the patients. That's right. Freezing ice baths were used as calming techniques. There's not a person I know that could sit in a tub of ice water and be at peace. It's estimated 50,000 patients were housed there at one time and almost half died. This is so sad. Experts found hundreds of suitcases of people waiting for freedom, but they never left the compound. And today, all that remains is a cemetery of thousands of people buried in unmarked graves. It was built in 1869 and closed. In 1995, our next stop, West Virginia. Let's talk about number five, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. It breaks my heart that children were housed here. To create space, some were locked away in cages. Others froze to death in freezing rooms and underwent shock therapy, lobotomies, you name it. It's rumored that the grounds are haunted, and I'm sure they are. And for only $35, ghost tours are available for people who want to explore the grounds. No, thank you. It was built in 1865 and closed in 1944. Our next stop, we're leaving the USA. Number four, the Ospedale Psychiatrico di Volaterra in Italy. known like the ones in the U.S., Italy believed in insulin therapy and electroshock, but people were sent there for political crimes and minor emotional problems as well. This was one of the biggest hospitals in the 60s with two toilets for every 200 people. Can you imagine how it smelled? This is another site tourists can visit, and it opens at 10 a.m. It was built in 1888 and closed in 1978 we're down to our top three worst psychiatric hospitals in the world our next stop number three south korea introducing gongyam psychiatric hospital allegedly gongyam is rumored to be so scary in 2018 a movie was made about it at this hospital patients died mysteriously And this led to its closing. It's rumored that the hospital owner murdered the patients and was accused of holding them hostage. It was founded in 1982, wow, and closed in 1996. Our next stop is number two on the list, Ghana, West Africa. Now for this story, it isn't a specific hospital, The list says their mental health treatments as a whole are the second worst in the world. Allegedly, they shackle their patients together in inhumane living conditions, and even people who use drugs and be sent to mental institutions. Our last stop. What country is number one for having the worst and most dangerous mental health hospital in the world? Guatemala, Federico Mora Hospital. According to the BBC, they are. Allegedly, patients at Federico Mora are on the receiving end of abuse and neglect by staff. The patients are shackled, sedated, and ignored. In 2014, the hospital had 340 patients, including violent and mentally disturbed criminals. It was founded in 1983. That blows my mind. And what's worse... It never closed. It's still operating, guys. It seems Federico Mora doesn't make time to treat their patients as human beings. And guess what? I'm out of time. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to follow me. By now, you know where. Podbean, Samsung, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen from. This was a lot of material to cover, but I hope I gave you some insight as to how people with mental illness have been treated in the past and still are being treated in the world. Listeners, I will be back with more stories. Until then, be easy, take care of yourselves, have an awesome weekend, and as always, God bless.